<clears throat> well, good morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this point in time. And uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've been going through a, a rather quick series in the book of 1 Corinthians called Christians Gone Wild, as Paul addresses issues and uh, questions uh, that this uh, first century church had written to Paul. So 1 Corinthians, where we are going to be, uh, find chapter 8. We are going to work our way through chapter 8 and 9 today. If you have uh, your own Bible, you can find it. If you have your, uh, don't you have your own Bible, you can find the Bible in a pew back in front of you and uh, turn to page 928. If you don't have access to either of those, most of the text that we'll be looking at uh, will be on your screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, uh, Corinthians, uh, Christians Gone Wild. Uh, I've entitled my sermon today, The Gray. The Gray. I trust that you're there or close to being there. So let's pray and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for a wonderful time to hear testimony about how you work in our lives, even in such a practical area as money. I pray for our upcoming financial peace (coughs) program that many people would come and that you would work in all of our hearts and our lives. Teach us how to see money your way so that we can honor you with it. This morning, in particular, as we turn to your word, we want to learn about those areas that are gray those areas that are amoral, those areas where there is no right and there is no wrong. And Christians often disagree, and yet you have wisely, and uh, we're very thankful that you have left us instruction in your word uh, how to interact with one another, and even how to interact with those who are lost and unbelieving over these issues that are gray. And so teach us how to love our brother well and teach us to be willing to give up all things for the sake of the lost and for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray and all of God's people said, amen. So I'd like to begin with a quick, uh, a quick game. Uh, and the game will go something like this. I'm going to list out several activities several activities, and I want you to be thinking in your mind as I'm going through this list, what these things have in common. What, what is the, the tie that binds them together? Uh, so I want to begin just by listing several activities. You be thinking in your mind what they are. Uh, let's begin with a, a big one. Uh, drinking alcohol, or maybe social drinking. What about uh, gambling? What about going to rated R movies? Dancing, possibly. Playing cards, enjoying a good game of cards or whatever your game is. Uh, What about secular music? Listening to music other than what is on uh, WBGL. What about that? Uh, What about wearing uh, bikini swimsuits? What about that? What about swimming in mixed company? What about public school or private school? What about birth control? What about working on Sundays? Working on Sundays? I work on Sunday. (laughs) What about attending sporting events? What about dating as opposed to maybe arranged marriages? Something to consider, kids, arranged marriages. What about dating? What about kissing? What about kissing? Or other public displays of affection, PDA as we used to call it. What about smoking or chewing or cigars? What about watching TV or maybe even having a TV in your home? What about uh, being a a mom that works, working mothers? I could go on and on, but I want to pose the original question to you. What is the tie that binds all of these things together? What do they have in common? They're all fun? fun? (laughs) Well, I can't top that. (laughs) 
That is a correct answer. They are all fun. But I did have something else in mind. And what that something else is, is the topic of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And even if you want to do some at-home reading, Romans chapter 14. The Bible in these three chapters addresses what I will call gray areas. What do I mean when I say gray areas? areas. Well, you've heard of people who are black and white, right? Everything is black and every, or, or white. Everything is right or everything is wrong, and there is no in-between. Well, Paul is going to address a, a very specific issue that these Corinthians, some 2,000 years ago, were dealing with that were, a, a, that were what, a gray area. They were amoral. That is, they were not right. They were not wrong. And the things that I just listed, I think, in my humble opinion, are things of which Christians nowadays disagree upon. I think all of those things that I listed, you could find Christians out there that think it's right or wrong. They, they disagree over these things. And Paul is going to turn to a very specific gray area that I think was dividing this church. And they had questions about, and the particular issue, the particular issue is this. Are you ready? Meat that has been, or had been, sacrificed to idols. Meat that had been sacrificed as a part of idol worship. So let me ask you a question. Is that an issue for you today? Is that a temptation for you today? Well, I would guess that that's probably not an issue for you today. So we need to understand why this area was gray before we begin to apply the principles that we're going to see in this passage to our gray areas and and to your gray areas. So what was going on here that confused or caused these Christians to wonder about meat that had been sacrificed to idols? Well, what we find out is that in the great city of Corinth, and all really across the Roman Empire, uh, there were uh, p- pagan temples. If you were here for the first week, we saw a few pictures of some of the pagan temples that existed in Corinth, and you can still see the ruins today. There were great pagan temples built in honor to pagan uh, idol deities that involved pagan rituals. Now, what exactly happened was this, is that uh, the priests would make a sacrifice to that deity. They would take an oxen or a lamb or pick your animal, and they would slaughter that animal in worship to this pagan god. And then as a part of the worship service, so to speak, what they would do is that the part of the animal that they didn't burn in the offering, they would essentially take and eat together worship, worshipers of whatever idol it was, and they would consume this meat together. Okay, so that's what was going on. But here's where the gray came in. Here's where the questions came in. Because these idol temples not only functioned as, uh, as a, an act of worship, but essentially... They functioned as butcher shops because there would be remaining meat. There would be meat that weren't eaten uh, as a part of these sacrifices. And so functionally, it kind of, wor- uh, it kind of functioned as a butcher shop. Uh, the remaining meat would be sold then in the marketplace. And people would know if you wanted the best cuts of meat, it was probably the cuts of meat that came from these idle sacrifices, right? So the meat would go to the marketplace. But not only that... Not only that, but these idol temples also functioned in the public arena as banqueting halls. So if you wanted to have a dinner party, if you wanted to have a birthday party, if you wanted to use a room, a spare room, 
off the side of one of these temples, you could rent it, and then you could use that meat that was sacrificed to the idols as, as a part of your party, right? You wanted the best meat, you would go there. And so I hope you're beginning to understand why this was kind of gray for these Corinthians. And Paul is going to address in chapters 8 and chapter 9 three scenarios. So if you're taking notes, jot down scenario 1, scenario 2, scenario 3. And as he goes through these scenarios, we're going to see some principles that apply to us today. Because you probably don't struggle with whether you should meet eat that's been sacrificed to the idol of Aphrodite, right? We don't struggle with this, but there are principles that we can apply to our life. So here are the three scenarios. Number one, number one, Paul deals with what I will call marketplace meat. Marketplace meat, that is meat that was sacrificed to the idol and then sold in the public marketplace, right? Kind of like the grocery store. He addresses that. And as he addresses that, what we're going to see is that Paul addresses gray areas as it relates to other Christians, gray areas as it relates to other Christians. The second scenario is what I will call Mardi Gras meat. Okay, we all are familiar with what Mardi Gras is, right? Um, Not exactly the cleanest or most uh, Christian of events, right? I'm going to call this Mardi Gras meat because he's going to address a second scenario, which was Christians going to these pagan temples and actually participating in the worship of an idol and eating the meat as a part of worship. So Mardi Gras meat. And then third, I'll just simply call it mealtime. Mealtime meat. That is, he's going to address a scenario where a Christian was invited to maybe a, a, a side room of the temple or maybe an unbeliever's house for a party or just to, to come over. So he's going to address whether Christians should go and eat this meat with unbelievers, okay? Gray areas as it relates to non-Christians. So let's, let's work our way through these. First of all, Paul talks about marketplace meat. In chapters 8 and 9, he's going to address this issue, marketplace meat. And as we go through him addressing it, we are going to learn a principle about gray areas in our lives as it relates to fellow Christians. So how do we handle all of these gray areas that we just talked about when our, fo- our fellow brother or our fellow sister They don't quite see it as we do. How do we do it? So, uh, I don't know about you, but I have a few pet peeves. uh, And in particular, when it comes to driving, I've got a few pet peeves. One of them is that when people who should yield to me when I am driving, and they don't yield to me, and they pull out in front of me, does that make you kind of frustrated? Okay, it makes me frustrated. Confessions of a pastor. That makes me kind of frustrated. So when I'm driving along 49 and there's a stop sign and I see somebody coming and I know that they're supposed to stop and yield to me, but what do they do? They just kind of roll and hit the gas, right? And they go right in front of me and I'm like, ugh, you know, I had the right of way. Or maybe uh, stopping at a red light. Uh, uh, Normally you can go to a red light and you can stop. And if there's nobody coming, what do you have the freedom to do? You can turn right. You can make a right on red. However, we're supposed to limit our freedom and our right to turn right on red when what? Somebody's coming, right? We're supposed to yield to them, right, for their good. Um, And it makes me mad when people don't do that for me. So, just a heads up, if you see my car, yield to me, okay? You don't want to make your pastor go road rage, okay? Um, But... So that's what we're supposed to do. That's how it works. We have rights and privileges, but the law is set up so that we yield our rights and our privileges for the good of somebody else. That's essentially what Paul is going to say 
in this section. In chapter 8, here's what he's going to say in short, and then we'll read through the chapter. Uh, What he's going to say is essentially this, dealing with meat sold in the marketplace. So could a Christian do that? Could a Christian go to the marketplace and buy this meat? Or maybe could they go to a side room and enjoy some of this meat? Well, he's essentially going to say, It's a gray area. It's amoral. It's not right or wrong. But what he's going to instruct them is this. You need to take your rights and enjoy them. However, you can enjoy them except for when a fellow believer, a fellow Christian, sees it as something that's wrong. That is, when they see it as sin. You don't see it as sin, but they see it as sin. He's going to call these Christians weak Christians. They're not any less They're not any less Christians, but they're Christians who haven't understood that on this particular issue, it's not right and it's not wrong. But they haven't understood that. So their conscience says, I don't think I should do that for whatever reason. And so he's going to say, enjoy your freedoms, Christian, in this particular area. You can eat that meat sold in the marketplace, except for when it may cause your weaker brother, who has a conscience about that, if it encourages them to follow your example... Notice this, if it encourages them to follow your example and then to partake in something that they're, they question in their mind, they're like, I don't know if I should do that, but there's Brother Bob, and he's a, he's a spiritual Christian, and he's, he's doing that. So I think maybe I can, but he's learning, she's learning to say no to that, to their conscience. Does that make sense? They're learning to say no. They're saying Well, even though my conscience says I shouldn't, I'm going to. And Paul says, in that instance, you need to limit your freedom. So let's read it. Chapter 8. Let's just read it together. Now now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So he says, it's amoral, right? It's amoral. But, but, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificed Sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience, notice, their conscience is weak, it is, what? Defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Here's the principle. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for, for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, so here's the practical conclusion. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Do you see what he's saying? 
let's play this out. Here's the, uh, we'll, we'll play it out in a bit. What he's saying is that we need to yield. We need to yield to our fellow Christians. What he does in chapter 9, we're not going to read the verses, so guys, we're going to skip through this. But what he does in chapter 9, go home and read it at home. He's going to give his example. He's going to say, listen, I know I'm asking you maybe to do something that's hard. I know I'm asking you to maybe limit your rights and your freedoms in some areas for your fellow Christian. And that's hard, but it's not anything that I haven't done myself. And so in chapter 9, he's essentially going to say, here's my example of how I have done this. I'm not asking you as my spiritual child to do something that as your spiritual father, I have not done myself. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, the kids came asking to uh, maybe my wife or me, I don't exactly remember who, and they wanted dessert. They wanted cookies that night or something. They said, can we have dessert? Can we have dessert? And they had most likely eaten quite a bit of sugar that day. And so uh, I said, we said, no, I'm sorry, no dessert tonight. You've had a lot of sugar. You don't need dessert. And uh, they went to bed pouting, right? Um, I don't know if they did or not, but they were disappointed about that. So they go to bed, and of course, uh, the kids are asleep, so it's my, uh, my time with my wife, and I say, hey, do you want to make some brownies? <laughs> I say, let's make some cookies or something. So I've got the sweet tooth. And you know what she told me? She said, wait a minute. You just told the kids no dessert, and now you want dessert. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. What's wrong with that? Is there hypocrisy here? You know, Am I being inconsistent? Um, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm not asking you to do something that I myself haven't done. And that's what he says in chapter 9. But let's get to our first principle. What does this mean for you and I? Well, principle number one, we need to be willing to forego our freedom, to forego your freedoms for fellow Christians. So let me just play out a few scenarios as to what this looks like, right? Let's, let's take a couple of these gray areas and let me just flesh it out for you so that you can then begin to think about the gray areas in your life or in the life of fellow Christians, right? So that we can learn how to put this principle into practice. So number one, let's, uh, let's think of as it relates to alcohol. That is something that uh, over the, in the past maybe 100 years in Christianity has been a bit of a sticking point uh, for Christians. Uh, however, uh, the Bible clearly does not uh, say no alcohol, but it, it does say don't, don't get drunk. And it does have many warnings about the use of alcohol. And Christians disagree about this. So what does it look like, okay? So here's what it could look like. Maybe you're going out to eat. You're going out to eat with some of your Christian friends. And you know that Brother Bob over there has been struggling with this issue. He grew up in maybe a very, um, uh, for lack of a better word, a very strict uh, Christian uh, bringing, upbringing. And he thinks... I don't, think I, should, I don't think I should drink. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. But he's learning the scripture, and he's beginning to have his, his, his eyes opened to what it says, but he's still hesitant. So you're going out to eat, right? And you want to order some alcohol. You, you want to. You have the freedom to do that. Uh, you want to do that, but you know that he struggles with it. You know that if he sees you, and you are apparently a, a mature, aged Christian, that he might just be tempted to go against his conscience. And to say, I struggle with this, but I want to be accepted, so I'll, I'll, I'll order something. In that scenario, what Paul says is, hey, if you know that's going on in his mind, then just limit your freedom, right? Just limit your freedom. That's one example. Um, what about, say, rated R movies, okay? Uh, Sister Samantha uh, has decided that it's time to go out with the friends and they want to see uh, a rated R movie. But then Sister Sue, well, she's hesitant about that. She you know, in her mind, she's not sure if that's right for her or not. So what that means is, 
You don't push her to go and say, oh, come on, come on, you, know, you can go, you can go. No, what's the, what's, the, what's the loving thing to do? The loving thing to do is to say, well, we don't have to see this movie. Let's go see another movie, right? Um, as I say this, I remember a, a couple illustrations. I'll just give you one. Uh, the first time that I took my wife out, I got the guts to ask her out. And uh, in the course of conversation, I found out that she uh, did not uh, think it was right to see rated R movies. That was kind of her personal stand. And uh, I knew that. So I go looking through the movies. What are we going to see at date night? What are we going to see? And there was just nothing playing, nothing good. I'm like, oh, all these selections are horrible. And so then I see that there's a Tom Hanks film. Tom Hanks, he's a good actor, right? Okay, so I just picked that one. And guess what I forgot to look at? What it is, it, what's it rated? <laughs> and so we go, and I, we, you know, the movie's scrolling, and I see it's a, it, rated R. I'm like, oh no, you're an idiot. You're never going to go out with her again, <laughs> you know? And so we sit through this profanity-laced movie for two hours, and I'm thinking, idiot, <laughs> you know? Idiot. Uh, she went out with me again, and it all worked out. But, you know, in that, in that scenario, the loving thing for me to do would to say, even, even if I really wanted to see that movie, which I didn't, I would say, no, that's, that's your conviction. I don't want to push you into that if, if you think that your conscience is tender. One note, and then we'll move on. What this verse does not say, I think many people take this, they just kind of read through it, and they think that what this means is that if you have a brother or a sister and they disagree with you on an issue, they say, no, this is absolutely right or absolutely wrong, that you then should say, oh, I'm not going to enjoy that because they think this or they think that. That's not, what it's, but that's not what he's saying, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if you have somebody whose conscience, right? Did you notice that? Their conscience, they're just not sure, right? They don't know. Don't push them to break their conscience, okay? So, be willing to forego freedoms. Second of all, he moves on to another scenario. And this, this scenario I will call Mardi Gras meat. So he moves from marketplace meat, right? Buying meat in the marketplace, to a very different scenario. He moves from that to answering the question, is it okay for them then to participate in the idol temple ritual, which involves eating the meat sacrificed to the idols? So notice the thought process. Well, it's okay for me to buy this meat in the marketplace. It's okay for me to buy it and eat it. Then well, maybe it's okay for me to go up to the temple of Aphrodite and uh, be involved in the sacrifice of this lamb to the god and eat the lamb, right? Well, an idol is nothing. An idol is nothing. I can do that, right? And Paul says, no, not everything is gray. <laughs> he says, not everything is gray. There are black and white issues, and this one involves idolatry. And he says, absolutely not. No, you're crossing a line from amoral issues to what? immoral issues, right? And he says to them and to us, we need to be careful that our amoral issues don't cross the line into immoral issues. Let's jump to verses 14 through 22. In verses 14 through 22, this is what he does. Previously, he has mentioned the history of Israel and how Israel, if you remember in the Old Testament, they were so prone to idolatry and God judged them. And he said, we need to learn from that. You need to learn from that, Christian. And in verses 14 through 22, he applies it and he says, no, we need to flee from these pagan rituals. And here's his line of thought. Participation in a religious ceremony is participation in what lies behind that ceremony. And so if what lies behind that idol ceremony is demons, which he's going to say does, 
then you don't need to participate in that. I.e., don't get involved in the worship of Satan or demons in this way. So let's read verses 14 through 22. Uh, chapter, chapter 10. There we go. Verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Another example. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, he said this already. No, but... But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord, referring to communion, and the cup of demons too. You can't have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So here's the principle. Here's the principle he's hammering home for them and for us. We need to be aware that amoral issues don't turn into Immoral issues. That's what he's saying. He's saying don't use your freedom in amoral issues to cross the boundary to what God clearly says are immoral issues. So let's take the issue of alcohol once again. Uh, we can say the, the Bible offers freedom to drink alcohol, but what does the Bible not offer freedom to do? Clearly, Ephesians says, do not get drunk. Don't get drunk. And so we must not think, well, I've got freedom I've got freedom to drink. Therefore, I can drink and drink and drink and drink and drink until I fall over, right? You're turning an amoral issue into an immoral issue. What about about dress? What about dress? I think biblically there's a a freedom uh, in our dress within the confines of biblical modesty. The Bible says be modest, but within that range, there's, there's freedom. So we may take that freedom, and I'm thinking particularly of women. We may, we may take that freedom to say we can dress, you know, modestly. We need to try to, within our conscience, say I'm dressing modestly. And so we can take that freedom, but then it can turn into, well, if I dress this way, if I dress that way, I, I notice that guys' attention comes my way, and I notice that eyes are staring at me, and I like that, and, and I want more of that. And so our a moral issue of dress can turn into, I think, I really want guys to lust after me, which is an immoral issue. So, what about secular music? Uh, there's really nothing scripturally that prohibits that, so we have the freedom to do that. Um, however, that freedom uh, may turn into uh, things coming out of our mouths that we don't want to come out of our mouths. I remember when I was in high school, uh, for some odd reason, I thought rap music was cool and the way to go. So, this white boy listened to rap for a while. And, uh, and you know, uh, I still like it a little bit. Uh, so, so, I started to listen to this rap, and guess, just guess what? Guess what started coming out of my mouth? All sorts of profanity, all sorts of things. And I'm like, where did that come from? Well, guess where it came from? Tupac was putting it in my ear, right? <laughs> That's where it came from. Um, and so, we must be careful not to take amoral issues and allow them for us to justify immoral issues. That's the principle we need to apply in our life. One more. One more scenario. Paul now turns to a third and very different scenario. It's mealtime meat. 
I call it mealtime meat. It's meat served to the Christian by a non-Christian who is hosting them. Maybe the non-Christian says, hey, come have a meal in my house. Or maybe he says, hey, I'm having a banquet over on the, on, in that hall right next to the temple, right? I'm going I'm I'm to have a party. You should come. And whether the Christian then should eat the meat or they shouldn't eat the meat, right? He's going to address two situations. First of all, he's going to address the Christian who thinks of idle meat from the marketplace, that it may be sinful. So there's a Christian, I'm not sure if I should eat this meat or not. If the unbeliever offers it to me, uh, it may be a sacrifice to idols. This is the weak Christian. I don't know, it may be sin, right? So th- and, and this is what he's going to tell that Christian. He said, you shouldn't ask your host where the meat came from. Excuse me, did this come from, did you get this from the marketplace? Do you know if it was sacrificed to an idol? He says, don't even ask where the meat came from, just, just eat it, right? Just eat it, because it's better to do that than to offend the unbeliever. Don't offend the unbeliever. Let's read together verses 23 and 26. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, they might say, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. He's reiterating this principle. When it comes to freedoms, we do what is best for the other person, even for the unbeliever. Verse 25, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Notice verse, uh, verse 26. So he's like, listen, if you go and you eat, don't, don't raise questions. It will be okay. But then he moves on. And he moves on to the person, the Christian, who doesn't have any problem eating the meat, right? He doesn't have any problem eating the meat. um, But the person there, the unbeliever that he's eating with, or maybe an unbeliever who is at this party, they might have problems with that. In this day, there were Jewish people who were unbelievers, and they had dietary restrictions. There were converts to Judaism who were not Jews ethnically, but they had a moral conscience about what is to eat. Notice what he says to them, verses 27. And following, if the unbeliever invites you to a meal, and if you want to go, uh, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Right? So listen, just, just eat it, right? But if someone says to you, so here's the objection of an unbeliever with a conscience about this, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for both the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why not denounce it because of something I thank God for? So he wraps up the principle here. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now notice the emphasis. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, so Jewish ethnic people, but they're not Christians, or Greeks, they're not Jewish, but they're not Christians, or the church of God, believers. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So here's the final principle. As it relates to unbelievers, we need to be willing to forgo our rights to or not to, to do it or not to do it, participate in amoral issues for the sake of the lost. What this means is that for the sake of the person you're trying to reach for Christ, don't <laughs> limit your freedoms, right? Be willing to do something that you don't want to do or be willing to not do something that you do want to do so, that, so as to not offend them. We want them to be saved, is what Paul is saying. So, I want to end with a question. 
when it comes to gray matters, to amoral issues, how do you relate to your fellow believers? How do you relate to unbelievers? Are you like one of the drivers that gets on my nerves? Do you refuse to give up your rights? Do you refuse to yield for the good of someone else? Or are you like a good driver, right? Are you like a good driver when it, when it comes to amoral issues? You give up your rights for the believer or the unbeliever so that they might honor God and glorify Christ and be saved if they're not. Let's not become anyone's pet peeve, okay? Let's not become anyone's pet peeve in the way that we handle amoral issues. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak to very practical areas in our life. And we thank you that there are many things that your word teaches that are black and white. You've given us so much revelation about what is good for us as Christians and what honors you uh, as we follow you. And yet, even here in these passages and in Romans 14, you've given us clear instruction about areas where Christians disagree. We disagree. We don't see it the same way. Uh, And yet, clearly, um, there are these disputable areas. We want to honor you. We want to, with our fellow Christian, be willing to give up our rights so that they might be uh, progress in their faith and in their knowledge. And we want to do that for unbelievers too. We want to do that for the lost so that we may not offend them, that they may be saved. And so help us as we think in our own lives through these issues that are gray, the things that we enjoy that are amoral, whatever they may be, may we consider how to serve the church and to serve the lost in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. Uh, Join us for lunch. It'll be wonderful. And we'll see you.